The subject for this evening's talk is World of Mind-Body. Just as I was um, walking through uh, into the hall uh, just, just now, um, if I may say, it seemed um, unusually silent and quiet. And the thought arose, oh, I must be late. <laughs> <laughs> and it came and went. <clears throat> um, in the, the world of uh, mind and, and body, we, in our everyday human terms, will speak and refer to ourselves as being a human being on this uh, earth. And we look at our life and we see the, as a human being, the passage of time. And we might describe or summarize life as a succession of fields of experiences, a movement, sometimes purposeful and sometimes wandering on from one event to another. And the poles, so to speak, of birth and death Within that, we have our life and our being and our presence and also <clears throat> it's all that we'll know. <clears throat> and in that, there's not going to be a time that when we are dead, we are going to be able to say, oh, I'm dead, oh, I'm out of this world. But rather... When we are here, death is not, and when death is here, we are not. So this, 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 this is it for us as human beings. And in a way, awareness, life, teachings, whatever we might say, is some kind of <coughs> communication and reminder to us that there is more to behold than just what our mind tells us, what our everyday mind tells us. And thus, everyday mind with its conditioned patterns and influences can reveal a lot about life. And clearly, the tremendous pursuit of knowledge and information and the extension of language is a vehicle which we commonly use, as it were, to know more about life. But a human being's potential is to discover and to know in other ways, to find a knowing in another way than the simple and perpetual pursuit of knowledge. As a human being in our life on this earth and with this earth, we could say that in our reflection and looking back over the past that we don't come into this world with a, a clean sheet, so to speak, but rather there are various latent tendencies which enter into our life force, belong to it in fact, and 
these have some significant influence upon our life. And what we observe and experience as well is that the world itself, the world of people, the world of events around, impacts itself upon us. And that interaction of events from around and the conditioned events from within ourselves trigger and spark an experience. Pleasant or unpleasant, appreciative or something which we are not grateful for. So the impact of the world that comes through our senses and the experiences and the tendencies and the patterns which emerge from within ourselves in that connection, sometimes that collision that takes place, we form a picture of what life is like and who we are and what we are doing in this world. And it needs that dynamic. And if that dynamic, that interaction of the inner life and the outer life changes and sometimes can change significantly, then the whole sense of life can change correspondingly. And it sometimes takes one experience of life in a fresh way to change the whole sense of what life is. And therefore, all the history that a human being has, whole perspective, the whole perception, the whole way of relating, the potential and the possibility is there for change to take place faster than in the blinking of an eyelid. And sometimes we look back and we reflect upon our life as a human being on this earth and we can recall moments or a moment in our life which was a pivotal point, a, a turning point and in which we shifted perhaps in values or in perceptions or priorities or whatever and it marked a way of turning the corner towards and into something else. And what when we reflect on the past in that way of those points or turning points is that we couldn't have organized it. We couldn't have, as it were, sat down and rationally chosen it. That it occurred somewhat in a mystifying way in which a circumstance came together and it marked a shift in perception and our life moved on in a different way. And we might re be able to recall that moment or moments at the very precise moment. The actual memory can arise in the very precision of a second where that took place or the recollection of that may be in a general time span of a, of a day or a week or a period. So we look, look at these events of our life and we look at our relationship to life and we might ask ourselves 
How much control do I thus have? Is it possible that some of the significant periods of my life and changes of my life have occurred when I've allowed myself to be more accommodating towards life and less controlling and less demanding upon it. And to feel it, to feel a bit closer to it than perhaps we normally allow ourselves to be. One of the English poets, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, writer, poet, once commented that uh, in terms of speaking of life, he spoke of tremendous trifles. And those moments which I uh, re- referring to, which trigger and spark something else within the human being. I mean, there are many classic and famous stories of, uh, of this. And in the years before Mother Teresa, to give a small example, became um, a spiritual uh, megastar, <laughs> and not through her um, own fault, I um, should add, um, there was chance and opportunities to uh, meet with her. And I um, was one of those in my uh, days in monkhood in India, uh, met with her uh, a number of, on a number of occasions. And once she was telling, telling me that she had been um, the headmistress of a, a school in uh, Calcutta, and she felt that that was her particular calling and direction in life, and then she was taking that, and some of you may have done this, taken the train up to Darjeeling. It's a very narrow train, and it winds its way up through the foothills of the Himalayas. And she was said to me that she was just kind of sitting there and looking out of the train window. And then this um, thought came to her. We would call it a thought. She would call it a revelation. Um, came to <laughs> Just where you put the focus, really. <laughs> came, to, came to her that what she needed to do was, in fact to serve the poorest of the poor. And then she had to struggle and fight with the uh, church hierarchy for two or three years, apply to get permission from Rome, permission to start the missionaries of charity, which would be a new religious order, etc., etc., etc. So say so there could be a moment, and the moment is a triggering moment in a human being's life. If the moment has authenticity to it, that it is a turning point, then, despite the struggles which may occur and the outflow, something is followed through. That that which is followed through is the giving the validation to the experience. As our own teacher Jesus would say, you shall know them by their fruits. So that in that movement which takes place from point or turning points in life and the following through shows that there is a relationship from a seeing or a profound thought or a realization into an action 
of life. That action of life is the confirmation of something which is discovered and seen. If it doesn't have that in spiritual, spiritual terms, if it doesn't reveal something and show something and manifest out in, in, the, in the world, one can easily, easily be deceived by the strength of the experience that the human being has and think that the intensity of the experience is the uh, authoritative character of it. It isn't. It's the emergence that is the authoritative character. Many people, many, many, many people can speak of experiences, spiritual experiences, through meditation, through drugs, through being out in the nature, through spontaneous events, etc., and be touched and have those, as the poet says, the writers say, tremendous trifles of, of life. But it doesn't, in fact, reflect or be a statement of something unless it makes a manifestation in the world. In some way or other. In process of being alive and being a, a human, human being... In a way, human being, though it's the agreed description that we uh, have of ourselves, that it can obscure uh, a little bit uh, with us. It's as though, in a way, we are perhaps a little bit more complex than just the label human being. Sometimes, of course, we forget we are human and we forget we are being, we forget we are on this uh, earth, and in a way we become something else. And too little presence on this earth of homo sapiens, and we end up homo ignoramus, or uh, homo shopians. <laughs> you see what I mean. <laughs> and that some there there's a some way there's a kind of loss which takes place and that loss is something about a human being being connected with so if we look and some reference was made to this in the inquiry this afternoon when we, we begin to look at ourselves we can't just fix the label i am a human being what is a human being what is it to be alive on this earth. And then, as it were, prizing open the label, so to speak, getting behind it a little bit more. Then, what are we? And then we say, well, I am mind and body. And look a little bit closer, look a little bit closer to that. Well, who am I? What am I? And I say, well, I'm body, these elements, there, vibrating and uh, being experienced. When I look at the mind, what do I mean by mind? What is, what is mind? What is this thing of mind? My mind. They say, well, it's my feelings which are occurring, the pleasant and unpleasant and in between. It's the perceptions there. It's the, the various thoughts and formations there. It's the consciousness there. And this whole composite makes me up and it forms the picture of who I am. 
body, feelings, perceptions, thoughts, states of mind and consciousness. I need all of that. And when all of that comes together in a particular kind of way, with a particular kind of um, um, appearance, this is who I am. So whenever I'm looking at myself or addressing myself, in some way or other, I'm concerned about what's actually going on in what I call my body, my feelings, my perceptions, my thoughts and states of mind, and my consciousness. Am I focusing in my day-to-day life on one much more than the other? Do I find there is a priority? Do I find that there is a priority in the way that I deal with other people? In terms of their appearance to me, physically, feelingly, their perceptions, their thoughts and expressions, that means speech, and their state of consciousness, their state of being. So if I'm going to look a bit deeper than my initial appearance of myself, I'm going to be very interested and very attentive to the whole of myself and to find a way of being with all those parts well and very, very clearly. I don't think it is a big task. But it becomes a big task <coughs> if <coughs> I am con- my attention through the force of habit and conditioning <coughs> is constantly isolating one of those features at the expense of all the others. Then I create a, dispa- a disorder, an imbalance, a dis-ease, a discomfort with my being because I've got a pattern which pushes my consciousness, that is my attention, onto one over and over above all of the others and I create a disorder in my life and that generates itself around me. And unfortunately, it's not just a self-activity. We almost conspire with each other to do it. For some, as was um, mentioned in others' experience, it can be the thought life, the life of thought. That through the potency of uh, time and conditioning and impact, thought gets an accelerated emphasis for some people. For some people. And when we look at ourselves and our relationship to ourselves, do we find that we spend a tremendous degree of time in the thought realms. What is the way of relating to life which keeps feeding that? And if so, what is it at the expense of? Sometimes 
there is a reaction by some to that. We meet a person and that uh, we say, oh, I know this person, I know this uh, human uh, being. And in the contact, we say, oh, this person is an um, uh, intellectual type, we say, a uh, cerebral type. This person uh, spends a lot of time in his head, in her, in her head or whatever. And it gains, unfortunately, it gains a kind of reaction and a ca- sometimes, not always of course, a kind of judgmental tone to it. And when there's a reaction and a judgmental tone that goes along with it, it has an impact on the person. That impact may be they get rather upset and angry and annoyed or they may uh, feel very proud that they're very intellectual and very knowledgeable or clever or whatever. And either way, it can contribute to either reaction or to identification with. And that's for those of you who are in the room uh, right now, in the way, possibly, that you perceive of yourself. Do you put yourself into that? Do you see yourself as that? If so, what is, it, what is it at the expense of? In, in such a situation, and I'll refer to uh, one or two of the others as well in a moment, in such a situation like that, it is not, and this is where I think spiritual life and awarenesses have sometimes made serious and grave mistakes really, that one is trying to shift the natural tendency that some people have towards. And as one uh, dear friend of Shada and uh, I uh, commented uh, um, to us uh, a year or two ago, who's, um, who said of himself, he said, I am an intellectual type of person. I like to study and to read and to think and to reason and to use my mind in that particular way. And though I've engaged for years in spiritual practices, done all of these years as a monk, done all of these loving-kindness meditations, and people have told me that I should be, get out of my head and be more heartful, etc., etc., etc. I am an intellectual type. But the difference in and with such a person is that that becomes a vehicle. It can be the instrument for using the mind well and wisely. Therefore I say, what is the tendency towards it that one has as a human being? What do, and where does it ha- find its focus? And for some it becomes clear it's on a specific, not for everybody of course. And if so, to look honestly at that, and is it moving onto a specific at the expense of? Or is it 
this, I have a natural tendency in that way. I have a mind. I want to use it well and reasonably and rationally and, and as clearly as I can and to acknowledge this is the kind of human being that I am. Unfortunately, if there is in the movement the natural tendency towards um, a holding a prejudice, a clinging, an identification with, not only is it at the expense of other aspects, feelings, perceptions, thoughts, consciousness, bodily life, but very easily the identification with the tendency towards one thing can make it very difficult to understand another whose focus and tendency is somewhere else. And my goodness, look at the number of collisions between human beings of head and heart as one example. The difficulty that can occur when one person uses his or her head and meets someone who's working out of their heart and they're feeling life as a way of looking at life. And sometimes they are not ships passing in the night, they are ships colliding in the night. Neither under, able to understand each other, not because of the, na of the natural tendency at work, but because of the clinging, the holding, the model, the picture, and the self-righteousness that can come with it. Somewhere or other, we are to, to find a way of being in the world which accommodates humanity, accommodates the human being in which head and heart find some meeting. Any kind of focus can occur, as I mentioned before, the natural tendency that arises and the impact of circumstances. Sometimes, <clears throat> perhaps rather overconfidently in our culture, we speak of um, choices in these matters and in the uh, way, in the framework of description here, uh, speaking uh, as the tradition I think has more wisely spoken of and that is the dependent arising of circumstances. At times as you will notice uh, here and elsewhere the bodily life becomes through the impact of bodily life on consciousness the primary focus of attention. Pain perhaps does more in terms of pulling attention and catalyzing uh, attention than anything else that the body can produce. When the body hurts, it's pretty hard for the mind to wander off, even though one would dearly love it to be anywhere on earth except with the pain. So pain has a kind of magnetic potency to it and it keeps the attention there one tends to be here and now whether one likes it or not. Similarly, in the, in the hall, 
It can be silent and still. There can be a great deal of um, uh, stillness and present. And in that, of course, silence has as its close affinity the capacity for immense spacing out. And this world has never been big enough for human beings to space out on. And we've um, generated um, all sorts of um, um, other realities. And we are even so conceited enough now to think that we can create virtual realities. And it's all part of the figment of imagination that goes on. But it only takes in the uh, Dharma Hall one person to scream one person to cry and all of the virtual realities that have been uh, created become or exploded in a moment and suddenly without any exception everybody is present one person having the capacity through uh, pain in this case and sometimes through uh, laughter or whatever, that it, it breaks the spell that the mind and the focus of attention. And even sometimes for the person who is in some um, pain or is in, caught up in some particular trauma and drama, all of that is suddenly broken. And one is acutely uh, conscious of somebody's situation in the hall. So, in a way, the dynamics of human life put into question our whole idea of control over our life, choice over our uh, life, and bring in, hopefully, some other kind of awareness which shows it's not that simple. So in the relationship to looking at ourselves, what do we see in terms of ourselves today and where the tendency tends to go? Has the day been focusing on the bodily life? And what's the kind of relationship that one has to the bodily life? Each time... And sometimes we forget what the significance of depth means. We have a, um, these um, accumulated all too often incredible number of pictures and images about depth. And quite often it's much more simple and much more immediate than what we realize. Depth is the revelation or the experience which questions something else, which is more outer. Depth is an experience or a sensation or a contact or a communication which questions a conditioned pattern in the, in the very expression of it. As an example with bodily, uh, bodily life, 
And as the text said, as the Buddha uh, said very, very explicitly, all too often our contact with the body is with appearance, what he called the outer body, the appearance of body. And on the appearance, which requires tremendous images and projection and fears and hopes and conditioned patterns, we build up who I am in the form of a picture, in this case through bodily life. And in one moment of access to a single breath, to the bare sensation of sitting on this earth or the foot touching the ground and feeling that direct contact, it brings into question the whole idea of who I am as a physical being. Where is your sex when your foot touches the earth and all that you know is the contact of that sensation? Where is your age? Where is the preoccupation with your appearance? Where is the involvement in size, shape, health, sickness? Where is your thoughts about how much hair you've got on your head? or how little you've got on it. Where is colour? Where are the issues around birth, nationality? All a smokescreen. All built up between human beings who torture themselves and others in the name of that which has no truth in it. So there's this outer world, human being, outer human being, and all the consequences of it, the conflict of it, the identification with it, the various isms which are born out of it. And as I say, in one moment of access to one sensation of bodily life, it's a potential in that sensation to make a shift into another kind of realisation of what living is, which isn't a world which has been built up and manufactured and tragically given an appearance as though that's the truth. Human beings will have to go much deeper than being a human being to discover the truth. So the movement of attention, the focusing the, the, towards is, and the skill of life, really, is looking with interest and with tremendous honesty, self-honesty, about what appears. 
sense of who I am as a physical person. I am this kind of person. I came from this place, and I'm this uh, age, and I am doing this, and this is how old I am, and this is how much I weigh, and this is my gender, etc., etc., etc. In all of that world of appearance, the world of human contact and agreement, can I acknowledge that as the outer appearance of life? The way life shows itself in the dynamic of human beings being together and struggling together. But not make it the ultimate truth. Not make it the reality. Not to say I create it. Not, certainly not to say it is unreal. Not to... Um, try to call it an illusion or maya, get caught up in uh, Eastern mumbo-jumbo. But not to invest it with some kind of ultimate truth. It may take, no matter how real that world it appears or this world appears, it may take a credible act of faith. It certainly doesn't help in terms of just reacting to that in some spiritual label and dismissing it. But can we allow ourselves in the movement of the tendency towards, which makes certain things appear very important, who I am or what I'm like at the physical level or at the emotional level or at the conceptual level or the level of state of mind or bodily health, or whatever. That the knowledge that dynamic goes on, triggered by external circumstances, triggered by inner, which helps me to question my ideas of control and choice, just gives me a little space and doubt around that. So that I'm just beginning to sense in life. I'm beginning at a feeling, yes, human beings agree that that's how it appears to be. But there's just hopefully enough awareness and enough space that I'm not making it the be-all and end-all of existence. And if I'm willing to do that with, truly with as much of my person as I can, then the potential for discovery is immeasurable. That's why we take a tremendous interest in the, the world of dependent arising. Take a tremendous interest in, in what comes together. Take a tremendous interest in the way that our attention moves. Either because of the internal influences that move us towards or the external influences that move us towards. So right now, as a perception, body, feelings, perceptions, thoughts, consciousness, right now as a perception, naturally enough, my wish, I hope it's not a forlorn one, is that your attention is in the listening. I've no idea, have I? You know, I could be talking to the Davis up there and getting more attention, I have no idea. And for some, there will be listening, and for some, from the first point that I made about arriving here and it being very uh, silent, 
that was the last thing that some of you will have recalled that I've said. And uh, the rest of the time has been uh, waiting for the hot drink. <laughs> you laugh, I'm serious. <laughs> so there's a movement of attention towards, and in this respect, hope, hopefully, and this is why, one of the factors why laughter, like other things, can be very useful because when people start to laugh and others' minds have been wondering, the thought arises, oh, I missed something. <laughs> so then that encouraged people to take more interest. Skillful means, you see. Anyway. <laughs> so there is this situation of the attention is moved towards and a contributing factor to the movement towards, in this case, we say, is the sound of my voice. That pulls the attention, and the attention and the sound of the voice catalyze together. And as I said before, the movement of attention, either from tendencies or from external circumstances or from both, occur, where does our attention go in life? Because your whole identity of who you are rests on that question. Even though it may be coming from outside and, as it were, impacting on you. It may be coming from inside and impacting on you or both or neither, but nevertheless, your sense of who you are comes from that interchange. And it can't be any other way. And we begin to get a sense for this, a sense of how the formation has come about. And we begin to say, is that all there is? Is that just it? What does it mean to discover, to realize that which is unformed, unchanged, unconditioned, unmade? And one hears that and says, what does that mean? I have no idea what that means. I just can't relate to that. All that I know is these formations coming together through contact, through experience, through dependent arising. It forms together. This is how I am. Sometimes it feels it's got a continuity. Sometimes it dissolves. Sometimes it seems to be a mishmash because I go to my body or I go to my feelings or my perceptions or my thoughts or my consciousness. All of that going on. And all I know is what keeps forming together which I call myself as a human being. And we're asking, begging, praying, please have a little space around it. Just enough space that you don't put all reality into it. Therefore, we can make allowances for our humanness, which means the meeting of attention going towards through the circumstances and the dynamic of life. But that's not it. That's not the be-all and end-all of existence. May all beings live with awareness.
May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live a realized life. Have two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please? <laughs>